This is Project WWWN, hosted by Isaac Davenport and Gary Hamrick Jr. Project WWWN is an exploration into the character development, world building, and game settings that go into developing the best possible creative superstars for current and future wrestling games. Before we get started with today's podcast, I want to take a moment to thank J.B. Jensen, also known as Jameson Jensen in the call community, uh, for providing the voice for our intros and outros and our segment bumpers. You have uh, Jameson. Thank you, J.B. We appreciate that. And honestly, uh, when I first mentioned Jameson, I was thinking that Gary was going to go into an alcoholic stupor. Now, wait a second. You know, just because I like a little whiskey around my birthday, which is coming up, or has just happened, depending on when this episode drops. Gary, uh, your birthday isn't every day that ends in Y. No, it isn't. But as like I said, I don't know when this episode is dropping, so it's either dropping the day before or like a day after uh, or a week after my birthday, depending on when we drop this. But anyway, uh, thank you, JB. Thank you, Jensen. We appreciate that. Your voice uh, was perfect, and we appreciate you doing that for us. And free plug. Jameson, if you need anybody out there with podcasts, but especially connected to the call community, reach out to Jensen. He has good rates and he will work with you. Have a good thank you guys, and we will get ready to start the podcast. The World Wide Wrestling Network is a digital wrestling show co-promoted by Isaac Davenport and Gary Hamrick Jr. The WWWN has a deep backstory that has barely been realized on Twitch or YouTube. In our Making Mythology segments, we will discuss the current world that our original characters inhabit. We will also talk about the histories and timelines of the promotions that make up the modern WWWN and consider how the series will handle the tropes and genre of professional wrestling. Welcome, everybody, to Project WWWN, and this is a going to be our last episode before our holiday break, and with that in mind, we wanted to kind of end before our break with introducing a, another one of our segments that we will be utilizing throughout the podcast known as Making Mythologies. The purpose of making mythologies is for Gary and I to really talk about the world and universe and the lore of the Worldwide Wrestling Network. It is partially an advertisement for our reboot of the Worldwide Wrestling Network that we are hoping to be able to put together and really jump on with WWE 2K22, and we are really looking to kind of put this out there so that people will get a real vibe for the history and the scale that we are really attempting to do 
with our Worldwide Wrestling Network digital wrestling show. So, another, uh, another reason and another thing that I, I wanted to add in on that, that we are wanting to do these building mythology, making mythology segments, is that we we have things that we have borrowed from been inspired by and are referencing in the creation of our characters that go far above and beyond the characters themselves. Yes. There is, a, there is actual world building that we've done both intentionally and unintentionally. And quite frankly, our, some of it by mistake. Yeah, and some by <laughs> mistake within the, within the context of, you know, what we have created just for our cause alone, just for, you know, you making Michael Maverick, me making Gas Corvin, yeah. the other litany of characters we've made. Right. And then on top of that, the characters that we've kind of repurposed that are from, and I know you'll get into this in a moment, that are from the older Aki THQ games. Right. And, and, and how that has inspired and informed what we are doing creatively and how the actual wrestling business in its history is inspiring and informing what we are doing creatively. I, that's, that's why we're calling this a making mythologies segment, because there are, there is a lot of mythology there that is history based, but it's also what that history has inspired. I which really... Is what, which is what mythologies are from to begin with. Right. I really couldn't have said that better myself. That was very yeah. good synopsis. That was very... And I can't believe that was off the cuff. Wow, very good. <laughs> I, uh, now, but that's just saying because usually when we have really good stuff, it's because we've honestly taken time and written it out. I mean, that was awesome. But... You know, um, I, you know I, I've, I've been listening to some audiobooks of the past week or so. This is this is dropping right after my birthday and I got an Audible subscription and some of the stuff I dove right into had to do with mythologies and storytelling and all that mess. Oh, that's awesome. So, so. now guys, going back to what Gary referenced is we really hit that kind of our both of us, our original playing of games started around the Nintendo 64 PlayStation era. And both Gary and I really liked those original THQ Aki games. Now, we didn't really uh, have the same level of creation with those games, both of us, because of just age gap. I mean, not there's not that big of a difference, but it, it was there's, enough... There's, there's, there's a difference. Between, there's, there's ten years between you and I. Right. But there's there's also the time period those games came out. Right. The developers didn't really comprehend the level of creation that fans could potentially want. Yes. Out of those games, and it, and it's something that even you know more recently, and I, I'm not going to poke too much fun at 2K here, even they underestimate the potential desire from their from their you know 
their market audience, their their fans, whatever, for the ability to create your own content. Right, the degree of control of certain things that people would really like to be able to do. And now, the and the additional life that something like that will give a game. I yes. Mean, you look, look at Skyrim. They just said they just celebrated their tenth anniversary, and yeah, they've had all these different versions that's come out. But I mean, let's be honest. What's kept that game going is the modding community. The yes. same thing that the same thing that kept Morrowind and Oblivion going. That's yes. something that for all people criticize Bethesda. They've embraced their modding community. They've offered to help their modding community. And uh, sometimes actually, given yeah, actually, they've actually, given code, right? Well, they've given code. They've given what do they call it? Res ah, I don't know what they call the resources. Tools. But, it would well, just be building well, tools. Yeah, tools. Well, not just the tools. The assets. Assets. They've given. They've given in-game assets to these modders, and and they've said, you know, here. Have fun with it, and the modders have gone, you know, buck wild. They they've done they they've gone wilder than a girl's gone wild video. Um, that's not a dated reference at all. Now, no, that's so a very, that's a very dated reference, and I'm getting old, damn it. But um, now so bringing this back around, originally part of the World Wide Wrestling Network was this desire for me. To really pay me being Isaac Davenport, failed hero pronouns, pal, being wanting to pay homage to the Aki wrestling game, specifically, a lot of the characters that I played as were what I thought at the time fictional creations. I did not know that. The Black Ninja was great Sasuke. I did not know that Hannibal was, oh, I can't, Hayabusa. I did not I know that remember. Black Belt was Takamichinoku. I did not know that Paco Loco was Men's Tiho and Dick Togo put on one character. And so, as oh, and, I. And a, and, a, and a side note to that. You didn't know, and I was vaguely aware that they were inspired by, you know, characters outside of the WCW. Yes. Or, well, and that, but I didn't know. I usually I didn't know who or didn't remember who. Right, and there, and, there were very few exceptions that I knew. And, and going deeper into this research five six years ago. As I was starting to think, believing that, wow, I, I having this idea of being outside the call community at that time, who's streaming wrestling games and running a federation? Turns out everybody, but at the time, I didn't know, uh, especially folks who really enjoy the game. And so my idea was just to create the original characters like Michael Maverick and others, and then to kind of fill out the roster, create characters that were 
essentially these what we deem the Aki legacy characters, which are those characters like the Claw and Black Belt and the Unknown and Date Kin. All of these characters that Ming Chi and Kim Chi. And so with that in mind, we brought in those organizations, those fictional wrestling organizations and the names that Aki and THQ had created. The Independent Union, the Dead or Alive Wrestling, Empire Wrestling Federation, and then the original creation, what World Wide Wrestling Network would become, Southern Premier Wrestling. And that was my original wrestling fed, SPW. Right. And I I had a couple of things of my own that mm-hmm. were based off of just just kind of some spitballed ideas. This this is going way but way far back. I knew some guys back in middle and high school who did a backyard fed, and I started doing just like in a in a note a spare notebook started just coming up with my own match booking ideas. You know, just pen and paper, you know, matchbooking ideas. And then I'd write out descriptions of the matches. And, I, you know, I had a little Fed title for it. And, I mean, I call it a pen and paper e-Fed, basically. Because we didn't have email at the time. But that's essentially what it was. And then, years later, while I was doing, you know, I, I was watching my friends do stuff with NWA Wildside... And I was getting asked to do some video editing and for for another local promotion. I started coming up with an idea just to incorporate some of my own my own thoughts and ideas from their of their stuff into car creation. Not again, not realizing there is that community there. And not really giving a shit that that community is there at the time because I mean we didn't have as much online resources then as we do now you know we didn't have discord we didn't have twitch back in 2014 2013 right and so those ideas uh kind of hodgepodge that got put together in what would become what we would put on stream as our original concept for Worldwide Wrestling Network. And the original concept was this idea of the Independent Union, Empire Wrestling Federation, Dead or Alive Wrestling, and Southern Premier Wrestling acting as, for lack of a better word, individual wrestling territories akin to the National Wrestling Alliance, the old NWA before Billy Corgan bought it and made it a just another wrestling promotion. With not knocking NWA, I love the product, I like what they're trying to do, but it's just different oh. compared to what it was originally was, which was an alliance, a confederation of wrestling that basically they booked the championships and Then the the bookers had their own fiefdoms that had other belts, but the tag team titles and the national championship and the world heavyweight championship, those are all kind of voted on 
or by consensus of who would best represent the National Wrestling Alliance as the champion. Well, and and the other thing you have to think of though, and and this is to counter your the way you put that about Billy buying the thing. The territory system died. It was dead by the end of the eighties. Oh yeah, it, it, it was. It's not a viable system anymore. Yeah, it it hasn't been. I mean, it it had it died at the end of the eighties. It hadn't been a viable system since the mid nineties. That's that's so, it. Some bookers would say that it wasn't a viable system when it was in the eighties. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I'm saying it like that because even when you're getting into like the mid and late nineties. You still had the NWA title, the NWA tag titles, other NWA titles that were going around to various promotions who were still technically affiliated with the NWA. That's right. how you had NWA Wildside, NWA Anarchy, which were essentially the same. And, and NWA and, TNA, where well, those and, belts well, were showcased. Well, you had NWA TNA, which was meant to salvage a particular territory where the NWA operated. Yes. Now, yeah. and then and then you had a completely other NWA territory still active. You had a couple of them still active on the West Coast. And so, you know, now, we 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 don't have that anymore, and I I don't think we'll ever have the territory system again. The closest thing that we really have is on the West Coast is with the United Wrestling Federation, yeah. where there are a number of promotions that are using the championship wrestling from Moniker, and they are all affiliated within that United Wrestling Federation, which that was also an inspiration for the modern league play idea with these different feds. Now, with that being said, let's talk about what each of these ter territories are within the World Wide Wrestling Network because it ultimately informs how we are going to approach booking and how the universe works overall. So having this kind of history of what these feds are and more importantly, who is in charge of those feds lead into another discussion that we're gonna have in the second part of our segment. So let's start with the Empire Wrestling Federation for our Peruso and Japanese wrestling fans. Empire Wrestling Federation in the World Wide Wrestling Network is our premier Japanese pro wrestling federation. The EWF is considered to be the largest and oldest wrestling federation being active since the 1970s. Now, they have a sister promotion that is called Empire Joshi Pro. And which is where the Joshi and female talent work. There's not a lot of cross promotion with that, except with mega event cards. And and that is in line with how Japanese uh, wrestling is generally booked overall. Okay. Yeah, they they don't. They, you know, there there is some overlap in terms of like all Japan had all japan women's but they didn't run they didn't run the same cards together they, no. they had they had a women's card and a men's card that were run on two separate days yes usually uh, as far as as far as what our research has shown now and so the also taking inspiration from the japanese style they work a very regimented 
touring schedule, often with folks traveling together by bus, hitting those loops together. And for our Worldwide Wrestling Network idea, they are the they being the Empire Wrestling Federation is the major Peruso organization. And they utilize both major types of wrestling styles from the All Japan King's Road style to the New Japan Strong style. So, in essence, Empire Wrestling Federation is our stand-in for Perusa. It is basically when we talk about people coming from Japan and uh, being spending time in Japan yeah, in the Worldwide Wrestling Network. And be trained or having some training, you know, with Japanese um, dojos. Yes, then we are referencing our the connection with Empire Wrestling Federation. Now, one of the things that makes us unique is that in the history of uh, Worldwide Wrestling Network, in our lore, Empire Wrestling Federation actually set up a San Francisco-based promotion, and it was EWF USA. And they had a set of a roster that was being trained in their dojo in San Francisco, and they were running cards in Southern California, bringing some of their bigger talents from Japan to work some of those shows while at the same time trying to gather just a kind of secondary placeholder in the United States in San Francisco. And so that is where a lot of our West Coast wrestlers, people who are coming from the West Coast, got a lot of their training. They wow. worked through Empire Wrestling Federation or they got trained by independent wrestlers who lived on the West Coast. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... That in that um, idea of the promotion based out of, you know, a, a branch of it based out of San Francisco. Doesn't that borrow from Dragon's Gate? It does borrow from Dragon's Gate. It also borrows from the New Japan Dojo that was set up in either San Francisco or San Diego. Um, it borrows from that idea because I like the idea of a Japanese promotion expanding their territory and being competitive. Another thing that that I I like the approach of on it and is that I mean the Japanese are not fools. No. You, you look at the, the impact they've had in technology and video games and all streaming, of that. Uh, streaming with, with, with uh, wrestling in New Japan in particular. Right. And, and it's like, why wouldn't they be interested in having something, ha having a foothold in, a North, in North America so that they could have a foothold in the North American TV market? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I, we'll know, discuss more about that as we get into our our history. Yes. Now, so the second organization that we want to hit on is the Independent Union. 
The independent union, uh, we describe it as a company that rejects the conventional sports entertainment label. They exist by the credo of wrestling is fun, and they're very influenced by Lucha Libre. Um, the independent union wrestling performers, they are grouped together as technicos and rudos. They use those Lucha Libre terms for heroic and villainous characters at, respectively. Just as in Lucha Libre, a lot of the independent union wrestlers follow kind of masked and kind of outlandish gimmicks. They stand out, they're loud, they're colorful, and they basically have a very set gimmick. They're going to be over the top and entertain. The IU entertainment style uses all types of professional wrestling, from Lucha Libre to Peruso to Catches Catch Can, uh, and among others. And so they're one of the only promotions in our world that really had that focus of training any style for any wrestler. And, but they use the Lucha Libre inspiration as this kind of idea of it's easier to book if we have clear technicos and clear rudos to kind of uh, go away from the shades of gray mentality that most wrestling follows today. And so a and lot of... on top of that, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but... Yeah, go ahead. There, there also is. I, I know you're a big fan of Chikara. Yes. And and well, you're all. You've also brought up Lucha Underground several times. Now, I don't know how much Lucha Underground would be because I mean, to me, they're as much entertainment as they are wrestling oriented, to some extent or another. But I I describe Lucha Underground to some people right. as. Chikara, if they had a budget. No, either way, I, you know, when we, when you were first t talking to me about in the independent union, I got a vibe from that that was very Chikara oriented and yes. Lucha Underground oriented. Yes. And, and is that correct? It is correct. It is correct. So that, and if we can equate some of the some of the fictional promotions to real world, you know, analogy that might help people. Understand. Yes, and and, I mean, and that that's that's why I have you here to kind of uh, point some of those out right. uh, for where it wouldn't be obvious it with other folks. Now, right. then we have our Philadelphia-based promotion which is uh, Dead or Alive Wrestling. Yeah, it's not ECW, folks. Um, and so Dead or Alive Wrestling is our Frontier Martial Arts Pro Wrestling ECW CZW organization. And they are the renegades. They are responsible to nobody. Their wrestlers have this kind of cult-like following. Their fans are... Smart, they're rowdy, they're void. It's a very. I'm gonna uh, throw one more promotion in there, uh, and that's IWA Mid South. Yes, and so, so they also De Dead or Alive Wrestling also is where people from unique backgrounds tend to start. Pit fighters, UFC, MMA fighters, 
deathmatch guys who are trying to kind of transition away from deathmatch and become more classic pro wrestling but still be able to do some of those deathmatch hardcore spots. So, let's be honest, okay? If the AEW game or the Wrestling Code game has the ability to do deathmatches in it, we will be doing something with that under the auspice of Dead or Alive Wrestling. Yes, and also Jack Dawes, I cannot remember... Ultraviolence. Yeah, okay. Pro wrestling I, ultraviolence. I, I think that's what another one. I couldn't remember the name of it. <laughs> we would be doing probably at least one or two cards a year with volunteers um, who uh, would be interested in doing would, kind of a I one night stand. A, yeah, yeah, it's like some sort of if it's one card or at least a tournament. Card. Yes, Brat Brass um, Knuckles tournament. And and what we do is we would in the ultraviolence game or the AEW game, whichever would have the most hardcore options, yes. we would have people build their call as as best to specification. And then the results of that tournament that we'd have in the stream would influence things in the Worldwide Wrestling Network universe, whichever game we would be using. We're thinking it will be WWE 2K22, but we don't know. We haven't made those uh, options yet. Well, now here's the thing. We can say at the moment that, okay, WWE 2K22 comes out in March, presumably. We don't have a release date on the AEW game. We know um, Virtual Basement's Wrestling Code game will not be out until 2023. Right, at least. And we don't um, know. Well, no, they they've said they've said point blank that I uh, I want to say it was second quarter 2023 was their target to get the game released. Right. So so that would be what summer 2023. Uh, I was I if I understood them right, they said it would be around yeah whatever their second quarter. So it's somewhere like May, between May and August. Okay. Okay. So spring. Okay. Yeah. Sometime but, spring and summer. So. But Dead or Alive Wrestling literally is that organization that will focus, that would have focused on the shock, the ultraviolets, while at the same time bringing in levels of athleticism, bringing in Japanese stars, bringing in Lucha Libre stars, and kind of giving their showcase to see how different styles kind of clash together in this hardcore environment. Now, finally, is uh, Southern Premier Wrestling, which we brought up as my, me, Isaac Davenport's creation. This was my brainchild to kind of house Michael Maverick and the characters that surrounded Maverick and that world that kind of separate them from the WWE roster. Well, what do I call uh, this organization? I eventually wound up naming it Southern Premier Wrestling. And so Southern Premier Wrestling, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's basically WCW. Um, 
Southern Premier Wrestling at, at is... Least you're, at least you're willing to admit it up front now. Yes, it, it's WCW, but with it, that never really got the... It's WCW if Ted Turner hadn't purchased it, okay? Basically, it is uh, World Championship Wrestling even focused... Ted, or even if Ted Turner had purchased it and not screwed the pooch with it. Yes. I mean... Um, but the idea of it is, is that this is the Southern Wrestling promotion. It's focused on booking storylines. It always had heel champions with baby faces giving chase. Its focus was essentially uh, telling long-form stories with long-term booking. And that now, if you did have a face champion in a southern wrestling, it was usually for the purpose of another heel coming in, right? To take that title via storyline. Now, and and just a quick note: the when you talk about southern wrestling, I I want to clarify the difference between what 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 we're constituting southern versus northern wrestling. Yes, go ahead. Um, Paul Heyman said it best that in Southern wrestling, you booked the heel champion with the babyface giving chase. That that it was basically a scenario where the heel was able to be a you know someone to challenge. Yes. Where and then. In Northern Wrestling, in the stuff that Vince McMahon Sr. did back in the 70s, you know, prior to Vince Jr. that we all know and hate and love and whatever. But, you know, prior to Vince Jr., when when Vince McMahon Sr. had the WWWF, you, you had this Northern style of booking where you had this, you know, heroic face champion like a Bruno San Martino who you kind of knew the heel was not going to often beat the, that champion. The heel was not going, you know, the heel was at the end of the day going to be defeated in some form or fashion in the feud by the babyface, by the Bruno San Martino, by the Bob Backlund, or two that come to mind. And I mean, get into it later, you get Hogan, but I mean, I'm right. Not, I'm not, that's Vince Jr. territory. And oftentimes, heel champions were meant as transitional champions. Yes. They, they held the titles as a means to, they yeah, built yeah, yeah, yeah. up, so, up the heel, and then the next challenger, the next baby face, was... going to be someone that, who was going to hold succession. Speaking from our well, influence and Well, that was also a shorthand explanation that Paul Heyman gave in a podcast interview about yes. his his entry to the wrestling business. And, right. you know, that he had gotten asked to book or to help book 
both a northern promotion and a southern promotion, like, in the same time period. Right. He, he was doing the northern one, like, you know, Saturday morning, the southern one Sunday evening. I mean, Saturday evening. You know, that, that type of overlap for him. And he really, you know, he was, he was really kind of talking about that. It was fascinating to listen to. Yes. One of the key figures in that makes Southern Premier Wrestling is this character of Gibson Ellis. Yes. Gibson Ellis is the, it was a promoter, a live event promoter to essentially in universe. He did concerts minor league teams, rock and roll, music. He was a live event guy. He had gotten his money through the banking industry and real estate and rolled banking and real estate money into promotions, which would eventually lead to him promoting professional wrestling and then purchasing Southern Premier Wrestling as an organization and taking it and expanding it beyond a loop in a territory and turning it into the Southeast from North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, the Southeast region became a Southern Premier Wrestling territory now that just meant that they were just the biggest fish in the pond there in our world there is always room for smaller territories there are always room for other federations and there definitely were those other federations yes and that there's smaller you know I, i guess you'd call them territorial promotions the same way that that exists you know in the real world or as Jim Cornette would call them, outlaw mud shows. Gonna, I, if I if I start into what I call Jim Cornette, if I start into what I call Jim Cornette, we're gonna get straight into George Carlin's seven words you can't say, can't on, say all day. <laughs> but basically, that uh, like Gary and I were saying is that like there are there is room for other promotions, but these are the four the four kind of pillars that build the WWN because the idea of it was that these four organizations basically band together to kind of share their television time and exchange talent to kind of compete with the real versions. Like, so the, uh, the only idea that this was built in concept to compete with a larger corporation like that, a sports entertainment organization up north, or that pissat company from Jacksonville, they yeah, would or, they would know. have to work together and pull resources. And that brand was the Worldwide Wrestling Network. Right. where they would pull resources, share television time, and exchange talent in order for talent and championships and intrigue to happen in basically league play. That was kind of the formation and the original thoughts behind oh. the Worldwide Wrestling Network. There, there's also one other element that I'm going to bring up, which 
when when you, we started streaming the WWWN stuff on Twitch, okay, and I'm I'm thinking specifically the 2K18 stuff that we did. Yes, we we've tried to stream, you know, four days a week. Well, four days a week, or at least we had four set four shows set up in the universe mode. Yes, with four rosters and. We we try to sell that as you know we're we're selling it as this is our southern premiere show slash WWWN you know title show yes this is our independent union show this is our empire wrestling show this is our dead or alive show that is something that we learned very quickly we were not able to do schedule wise it's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not. Right. Some, it's not sustainable. Um, I love the idea and I love the concept, yeah. but and, it and just was not we, sustainable. Well, and, and at least not for a two-man operation. And even going into two K nineteen, trying to do just two shows, technically three, we had difficulty due to your work schedule, due to my health issues causing problems with my schedule. Right. Um, and. But ultimately, our goal is when we start rebuilding and coming to the World Wide Wrestling Network as a digital wrestling show, we are going to take aspects from all of these promotions and we are keeping some of these histories and some of these ideas. Yes. And what we're going to do is the idea is that officially these four promotions have come together and essentially have become one organization in the World Wide Wrestling Network. And so all of the championships that existed have kind of been consolidated into essentially 12 belts. And now we'll talk about that with championships later. Also, shout out to my man Tristan Silver, Silva, Soul Taker Tristan, who is currently working behind the scenes, updating some belts for us. We will be in contact with you soon. I'm loving what I am seeing in previews. Gary likes what he is seeing in previews. So I mean, just quick shout I, out to Tristan I Silva right one, there. I have only one complaint that. I regarding the previews I've seen, and and it's something that we're not prepared to discuss yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about it when we get into the updated promotion stuff. Ah, okay. Maybe okay. That conversation for then. Okay. So okay. so stay tuned for that because yes. we will be talking about I, updated promotion stuff. Yes. Not next next segment. Next segment no, not, we are going to be discussing our championship committee. We're going yes. to be delving into the full five characters that make up championship committee and the roles that they play in the greater universe so that you guys will understand more of the lore that uh, comes with these promotions. So we're going to take a break and we will be right back momentarily. Right. And now a word from our sponsors, Guerrilla Warfare Wrestling. 
Oh my God, this is the grind house, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for a war? Are you ready to see people survive? Are you ready for pinfalls? Are you ready for submissions? Are you ready for knockouts? If so, ladies and gentlemen, get your ass to the grind house every Saturday, 9 p.m. only on Twitch. Guerrilla Warfare Wrestling, live on twitch.tv forward slash mcjinx. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Project Worldwide Wrestling Network. In our previous segment, uh, we discussed the kind of history and the world building of these promotions that the Worldwide Wrestling Network is built on. Now we want to kind of get into some of the nitty gritty, the faces behind. Let me let me ask you something real quick. Yes. When you were discussing Southern Premier Wrestling a minute ago, you mentioned Gibson Ellis. Yes. And this is going to transition into what you're about to talk about. But when you first brought Gibson Ellis up to me, I I had a very different perspective on who you were intending him to be than who you have since explained him to me has. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you were working under the assumption for a long time that Gibson Ellis was supposed to be a, a pistache, a, of Ted Turner. And uh, Ted, well, specifically, well, Ted Turner and Jerry Jarrett. Right. Well, my, really what he is, is a Jim Crockett and Jerry Jarrett. Right. Um, Which, you know, I, I think because of your age and because you were such a huge WCW fan, my mind went to... I am fascinated with Jim Crockett and what Jim Crockett promotions, both senior and junior, were a, was able to do not only within the confines of the National Wrestling Alliance, yeah. but also within the confines of making wrestling in North Carolina a huge thing. Most fans and most listeners forget the contribution of Jim Cockett promotions as making wrestling in the Carolinas and making names like Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes household names nationwide and in the South. Now, Dusty Rhodes was working his ass off in Georgia and in Florida and had made his name. Like, like he was a made guy. But Dusty really hit a lot of big prominence with that work with JPC and Ric Flair. And without JPC, we would not have a lot of the Ric Flair moments that we associate with Rick. Are, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, you, you went dead. No, I, well, I was looking at something because you had brought up the Crockett promotions. And it, it made me look up something that as a point of reference. But yeah, because right. I, well, you were talking about Crockett in relation to the Carolinas. And see, like, you're from North Carolina. I'm from Georgia. And I, see, I grew up with Georgia Championship Wrestling 
being the local right regional promotion and and we were still thought of it was still thought of as an NWA promotion. Yes. And I I just thought about I just I did not realize the ownership chain, the freaking insane ownership chain of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yes. And then on top of that, it was different the the relation of it to championship wrestling from Georgia and NWA Georgia. Yes. I, I, for some reason, was, you know, I have an association with Crockett for the, for the National Wrestling Alliance, but it's really just for that Carolina region, you know, both North right. and South Carolina. And it just... And Virginia. They, they, yeah, they did Virginia. a lot of work in Virginia. Yeah. And, and I was having, I was having to look up because I I was like okay, I'm trying to think of names here, and then I'm the names I'm seeing are not the names I was expecting to see. Right. <laughs> but so essentially, Gibson Ellis gotta... Gibson Ellis is our Jim Crockett. The only thing is, is that he is a guy who comes into this independently wealthy. He has money to throw around and invest into Southern Premier Wrestling. And he basically falls into the falls in love with the rock and roll carnival nature of it and was smart enough to let good people take the reins while he was just an investor. Sort of almost like. Uh, Rick Rubin with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but a little more hands-on. And those of you who don't know Rick Rubin, a huge music producer and was the secret financier of Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling in the 90s. I did not not realize Rubin financed that. Oh my god! Even I have... You have to listen to you have to listen to Talk is Jericho with Rick Rubin. I, uh, I, will, I will go back and yeah. listen to that. Um, I, and I would I would encourage a lot of people to go back and, and listen to that. That's a free plug, Chris, if yes. you're listening. I doubt it. it. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a free <laughs> tape. That is a free plug, Lady Champion. You know, if you could just, you know, at the very least, pay us back by sending me a bottle of the bubbly. <laughs> but essentially, Gibson Ellis is... Our guy who, in our universe, brings Southern wrestling to the forefront and expands it in the Southeast and is our equivalent of our figurehead for, he is, he's not Eric Bischoff, but if he were to, he would be in that role as the president of Southern Premier Wrestling. I'm going to throw another name out there. Okay. Bill Barons. Yeah, Bill Barons would be a good one. I know. I'm going to reference Bill, and I really hate hate where I'm going to go with this. Oh, God. But, (laughs) so, for those who don't know who Bill Barons is, Bill Barons was a board member for the National Wrestling Alliance. He is the owner of a management company called Showbiz Inc. And he is an agent and rep- uh, manager for 
a couple of dozen male and female talent who work around the country. I mean, at least a couple of dozen. I think it's more like four dozen. Yes, uh, it's very close. He's I got mean, he's got a deep roster. He could run yeah, his own wrestling promotion. He has run his own wrestling promotion. Yeah. And and for for a while he ran NWA Wildside and had a TV deal with them that you know enabled him to get a syndicated broadcast television deal here and overseas. But the thing was, all the time this was going on, Bill Barons was the central figurehead for the National Wrestling Alliance covering not just the state of Georgia, which he was he was essentially out of, you know, that was his home base, but he also repped it out of Tennessee as well. And I'm pretty sure South Carolina. I'm not sure about North Carolina, but as many North Carolina people that came into Wildside, I've got to think he covered what he covered there too. At least to some extent. Right. Um, but, it, you know, when, when we talk about those figures, I mean, I have nothing against Eric Bischoff. Okay. But, you know, Eric Bischoff was a corporate guy for Turner Entertainment. That that was how he got brought into WCW. Yes. Granted, yes. He, worked, he worked for AWA beforehand. He but he was brought work. in as a, a color commentator on the C team and basically yeah. was able to, because almost nobody else wanted the position, right. it, 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 was, it was, he, he, he applied for it, but he basically yeah. got it by being savvy and a combination of his own savviness, but also he will admit by attrition. <laughs> Right. And and that that's the thing. I that's why I don't know if I don't know how much of a parallel Gibson would be. Yeah, it's it, it's you more know. he's more of a Bill Barons meets Jim Crockett it, yeah, than an Eric yeah. Eric Bischoff. Bill, well, and, yeah, the Bill Barons, Rick Rubin and Jim Crockett ma- mashup, I think. Yes. Cuz it's so, from all of them. Yes. Now, so that brings us to our other championship committee members. Now, we hadn't discussed this. What we do, instead of having a figurehead to put in storylines or a head booker, we essentially are going back to a model that I think makes more sense for the World Wide Wrestling Network. That when there is a coming together of multiple leagues, those leagues are going to have representatives and they're going to have input and on championship de- decisions and inputs and rules and regulations and what goes on and what doesn't go on. So a, Gibson brother, Ellis is obviously going to be the representative for Southern Premier Wrestling. And, and an, another quick note there. There is also a historical precedent for... Even when the WWE did it back in the 80s, well, it was WWF at the time, they would say, you know, the championship committee has decided, and they right. had a figurehead in Jack Tunney. Right. And it was a representative of that committee. Right. And, and numerous other promotions have done something similar. Even WCW did. And Where they I think said championship committee decided right, that. and they had J.J. Dillon as as the figurehead. Yes. 
and right. so or, or the, the face the face plate for it or whatever right and and so the i like the concept a lot better than having a figure head because the we i think we can all agree that storylines of the evil boss are played out and we're just trying to take that out of the toolkit right there by having it be that decisions are made by committee and they are enforced by a representative and we'll talk about that representative later now and another thing we are wanting to avoid is uh this illusion or this presumption that a lot of people make there are call feds guilty of this but not the good ones that will say okay i'm running the show i'm booking my call as the champion right and then you have the the, the promoter on the opposite end of the spectrum who says okay i'm not going to run my call in this promotion so to if, avoid to avoid the that whole thing right and and we're kind of in that mid-ground. I mean, Gas Corvin is going to, you know, be working matches on our shows. Michael, Michael Maverick, Maverick is going to yes. be working ma matches on our shows. And they're going to be working but, programs. But yes. the goal of those programs with our original characters is to give new guest characters which we'll talk more about this format and in another show also, yeah, to give guest characters this, and we'll talk about this in another show too we also have a couple of other call creators who regularly work with us yes that i mean my understanding from from conversations you and i've had they have as much input on who we put in that championship slot has anything they are right. i mean for i mean it's at least a four person five person championship committee even if it's not those characters that we're we're discussing right now right right so i mean we're 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 still adhering to that idea we're just explaining it in universe a different way yes so anyway now that um, that leads us to our second figurehead representing dead or alive wrestling and that is major tom colt and major tom colt got into the wrestling business out of uh, the gulf war because he literally just had nowhere else to go he was a veteran left as a major in the army and he became renowned as this risk taker and a hardcore wrestler before hardcore was a part of wrestling vocabulary and however the brutality of his career really took his toll on him and he had to step away from wrestling several times under doctor's orders basically coming back again breaking doctor's orders in order to wrestle now in the twilight of his <laughs> life Paging Dr. Funk. <laughs> now in the twilight of his life, Tom Colt has made a return to wrestling as the general manager of Dead or Alive Wrestling. And he's been, basically, his goal is to represent 
and make sure that some of the philosophies and some of the wrestling concepts, some of the ideas of what made Dead or Alive Wrestling work, get showcased in the World Wide Wrestling Network. And so his major focal point, he's going to be the guy who, when we reference the Brass Knuckles Championship, he is the guy that would essentially be making decisions about the black brass knuckles title and when that's put on the line and and when tournaments are held another way to think about it he out of the five he'd get the final say so yes yes in complete universe he would get the final say so of this is how we did it in dead or alive wrestling and if it came to a tie his vote would have the most impact Right Now, that leads us to our representative from Empire Wrestling Federation, Kimiko Nassan, also known as the Black Widow. Now, and- Black Widow comes from as an heiress. She basically had this fabulous fortune from a family in Japan, and her family basically, unfortunately, was killed in a yachting disaster, and she basically was taking care of for a long time just by staff like she was cared for by the company that her family owned and so there's not a lot much else known there's a lot of mystery that surrounds her history and she's kind of resistant to a lot of human interaction And so she really got interested in professional wrestling because she wanted to be able to, well, make more money and gain some glory. And most professional wrestlers agree that the world would never see the forceful Black Widow appear in public if it not for the fact that every booker on the planet really wanted her because she was just that freaking good as a woman's wrestler. And so, currently, she is considered what would would have been the director of authority for Empire Wrestling Federation and in charge of its women's division, its women's promotion, Empire Joshi Pro. Now, she is one of the few directors, she is one of the few members of the championship committee that still performs on and off. She is not a staple on the women's roster, but she is always there as a potential character that can come in and mix it up as a veteran female going up against new characters. To be put in a program with Kimiko Nissan means that we are really trying to shine a spotlight on that guest character who is focusing and going up against Kimiko Nissan. Right. And, and so and honestly and honestly, you know, you and I can discuss this later, but that you know, we're we're gonna be more careful about putting Kimiko in a program you know have a few more limitations on that than we might some of our other yes yes major name females that are associated with our women's roster right and it kind of comes back to wanting to avoid that evil boss 
trope. We, not, not just we're... not just that, but I mean, she's a, she is of that Joshi Perosu background, and I mean, you know, if I've got my say so in it, I'm want to put. I'm interested in putting her with a. You know, to shine a spotlight on that character who that style is going to compliment. Yes, I 100% agree. And so she, Kimiko Nassan is essentially going to be the individual who really does our women's division. She is uh, going to be the director of authority for the um, show for our women's focus, Worldwide Wrestling Network Presents Glow where they, we will showcase the two major women's championship, the Glow Crown and the Worldwide Wrestling Network women's title. Now, that's not to say that those titles will not be seen on our everybody show, uh, WWN Cyclone, but that is where we, and that's not to say that women will not appear on Cyclone either. It's just that we want to showcase and have one show. Well, that because and another thing for that women's only show, and we've we've got this up on our YouTube channel. During the 2K19 cycle, when it first started out, we did something called the Mildred Burke Classic. The Mildred Burke Invitational, which was our homage to the May Young Classic. Yes, we did a we did a tournament called the Mildred Burke Invitational. It was I thought it went over very well. I, I, it's one of the proudest things that we did, except for our um, second battle bowl. It's yes. up there. Yes. And it's something that we're looking to improve on in the future. Yes. And so, so the idea yeah. of the Mildred Burke Invitational is essentially we did a huge tournament. It was. Uh, what? It was. What it was. We I can't. We had 32, 32 yeah, yeah. We had 32 female cause. We had four groupings of those cause. Yes, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and Delta. And yes. the end, and we, we... And at least half of those cause... I forget, I, I know it was at least 16. And I think it was actually closer to 24. Yes. Were, all from people outside of our little group. Yes, and so the the whole idea of that was to bring in female talent and from and, across call and get and, their, and get their characters showcased. To get their show their characters showcased and to and really do this tournament, do this invitational with the glow crown. As the championship, like that, what that's what you're trying to go for. The that idea is was the winner of the tournament would get shot title shot at the Glow Crown at our year end show, which yes. is battleable, right? Or at least has been battleable. I, yes. I think we're rebranding that. Well, no, it, it's still that Battle Bowl is still going to be our I, essentially our WrestleMania. Well, I didn't know if that was going to be our year end or if we were going to move it somewhere else. I wasn't right. Yeah, I, now, I don't know the dating on that at this point. <laughs> you're getting ahead of us in the format, Gary. Slow down. Wax with fictional <laughs> newspaper. Now, so, then our other championship committee member is uh, Bolt Jameson. Yes. Bolt Jameson is semi-retired. He is that was the head trainer of the Independent Union Wrestling School. 
and he is basically schooled in all of the wrestling styles. Strong style, Lucha Libre, catches catch can. He is just very versatile. The joke that we make is he has mastered all of the 1,000 wrestling maneuvers, and he is recognized as one of the best wrestling coaches on the planet. And so he spends most of his time teaching greenhorns and basically is a technical powerhouse when it still comes into the ring. But his goal essentially is he is our Young Lions trainer. The Young Lions program is our idea of showcasing new characters in calls or people's side characters in call who are really trying to establish those characters. That we have a specific title called the Young Lions Championship, where the in kayfabe, the goal is for a person who has only been within three years of their wrestling career. And so those... That that may transcend. While that is in kayfabe, that's going to translate different to right. what actual time frame we use within, like you know, call. Exactly, exactly. So and so, we'll and so put out more information on that in a future broadcast. But essentially, the independent union title becomes the Young Lions title because the idea is that we want to showcase people who are creating new characters or specifically characters who are people who are creating younger characters, characters who are in their 20s and to 20s to 20 to 25, just starting their career and really kind of create this space for them. Now, the other thing that Bolt Jameson also has a hand in is the junior heavyweight title booking. The junior heavyweight title, we do not do cruiserweights because we think the 205 weight limit is stupid. Both me and Gary grew up with the cruiserweight title being 215 pounds. And as we were researching uh, different weight classes throughout the history of wrestling, junior heavyweights were marked at the weight limit of 225 pounds. And so... We have our Worldwide Wrestling Network Junior Heavyweight title is basically for wrestlers who are 225 pounds and under. So we is, you know, I've always put Gaz wanted to put Gaz Corvin in either the Junior Heavyweight title division or a tag team division. Right. And so the idea is that it is the junior heavyweight title is of equal value and prestige as our world title. So a person who is a junior heavyweight champion, they are on the same level as our world champion as far as the Worldwide Wrestling Network is concerned. Right. And so and, and th- those that, are our two base championships. Also- and that is also in the context of where you say something like the Intercontinental or the U.S. title is considered below the Universal yes. title, for example. Yes, um, yes. Whereas, you know, what our approach is, our junior heavyweight title is equivalent, you know, it's the same thing as our Universal title. Because our 
WWWN world title is the same thing as our universal title. Right. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and now we are finishing up with, let's see, we, we did Bolt Jameson, we yes, did Tom it. Colt, we did Kimiko, we did Gibson. So that leaves us with their mouthpiece. So not every championship committee member is going to be available for comment for every situation. So they have a guy who is their mouthpiece, who is Joe Bar uh, Bruiser Barco. Okay, Bruiser Barco is a retired boxer, and so his dad was Alexander Augustus Barco, and basically made sure that he was trained in Pennsylvania. From Philadelphia, he is a hard-talking, inspired by kind of both Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali at the same time. And basically, he gets into wrestling because he loves freaking wrestling. He's a fan. And so, basically, he is asked to come in and be the president of the championship committee basically as the face and enforcer for a lot of the rules so a lot of our rulings as a figurehead are going to come from Joe Barco Bruiser Barco and if it comes down to it He's going to enforce the rules with uh, his legendary uppercut if he has to. Right. Now, this does not mean that Barco is going to be an active competitor. No. Barco is going to be in the situation where, essentially, if it comes down to where physicality has to happen to enforce a rule, he is the guy to do it. And so the, the other rare use, the, the other rare time we might use him is if he appears in somebody's corner. Yes. As a, you know, in a, in a like a special scenario. Yes. I, and I don't, I don't want to put it in a scenario, you know, of a, he's not going to be the heel, heel authority figure in this person's corner. It's more of a, like a, well, ringside enforcer, but like where we did the charity thing for Perry Saturn. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we had a Perry Saturn call that we had downloaded to represent Perry, you know, during that fundraiser. We could put Bruiser in his corner for that match. You know, if we put that call in a match, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, ba basically I'm as to show that this is a this is a special thing, and it's it's something yeah. that has a he, a significant a, importance. We we would be more likely to put him there as a company, re you know, as a representative of the championship committee than the other five people on that committee. Right, because those other individuals on the championship committee are mostly kind of concerned with making sure that things are right within their own division. He is the guy that basically when the championship committee makes a decision for any championships, 
PR he is guy. the guy that is going to be the PR guy, the announcer, the guy who has to lay down the rules. He is our Jack Tunney, Sergeant Slaughter, and, and uh, yeah, all kind of rolled into this guy who is supposed to be this happy wrestling fan who is just excited to be there, but he's been given a role and he has to fulfill it. Now, with that being said, why would we have a championship committee and not have an idea for how our shows are going to work? And that well, Gary kind of let there. the cat out of the bag a little bit by pulled it out of me when, and that's why I made the format joke. But so the idea is we're going to go to a twice a week stream or twice a week show. Some of those we may do as YouTube releases like we did uh, last year with editing and we basically do it as watch along and do it on demand. And so at least one of the shows each week is going to be live. That's we're still going to utilize the Twitch stream as kind of that's our live broadcast with our interaction. And so what we're going to be doing with that is we are going to be using Cyclone as our major show. That's where we're going to do a lot of our major storytelling. And then the Worldwide Wrestling Network Presents Glow is where we're going to focus a lot of our women's division. Now, the other thing is, is that we're not going to do monthly pay-per-views because my schedule will not allow it for booking Gary's schedule will not allow it for booking. We are going to go back to the philosophy of a big four type of idea for events. So we've got big events like that are going to kind of mimic different ideas. So Battle Bowl is our WrestleMania and Royal Rumble combined. But it also, it also utilizes borrows, it also borrows the actual battle bowl format well, to some extent. It borrows the battle bowl format utilizing the lethal lottery where you put random teams together and as a part of the a tournament, and then the winners in each match from the tournament are then placed in a Royal Rumble type deal, and the winner of that becomes the challenger. For the next season, they become the first challenger they for the world heavyweight they are, title. They are the number one. They are the yes. number one seed, number one contender. First and, program for the for the whoever our world champion is going into the next season. Right, and so, but that's not the only thing that happens at Battle Bowl. Battle Bowl is no. also where we are finishing up major storylines. It's uh, where we, we are. Title, we have every title. Every on the title line. is on the line. It is it's literally going to be that, two nights. It's a it's a two night event. And, um, and at least at so far two night event. We may have to go to a three night. Ugh. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so now the other big event is called Succession, and this is our combination of uh, King of the Ring and Survivor Series. The idea of this is, is that we will have four-person teams, and they are going to be fighting for the, basically, bragging rights. 
Now, we will have storylines involved with the teams and stuff like that, but it's not going to be the lazy, what has become the Survivor Series of brand versus brand, because we don't have brands. We just have the World Wide Wrestling Network as and, a whole. And another thing, it, <laughs> while there will be storylines, it, it's also not going to be explicitly, though this may happen, we do have factions in yes. the WWWN. It, it won't necessarily be a faction versus faction. No. It might be it might be faction versus a group you know, of randoms. And so um, the idea, but the idea is that whoever survives our our those events, they are then placed in the, a in a series of matches to essentially become a our well, essentially what will be our king of the ring. It is a bragging rights title. We don't really have a name for it yet. We're 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 getting we're, there. We're still we're we still have that in development. But the idea is to take these two ideas and make it into something different. Succession might also be a two-night event, but the idea is that night 1 is all of the team battles. And yes. then night two is the tournament of the survivors. Given the nature of what we want to do with these four major shows, I mean, when I say, I mean, these are four major shows that are going, I mean, we're not doing monthly pay-per-views at no. all. These are going to be probably once per quarter. Yes. Which I mean, essentially once every, what, three months? Yes, and roughly. And it's, it's safe to say all four of those could be two-night events with the amount of booking we ideally want to put into it. Then we have, oh, what is our, we've got Succession, we've got Battle Bowl. What? I, well, there was one you mentioned to me, but I don't think it was the big event. I think it was a, like a... So, on top of, uh, so let, let's yeah, keep let's the talk, other ones about, as... Yeah. So... We also want to do sporadically throughout as kind of uh, guest spot streams. And they won't be done kind of randomly. There will be thought put, put into it. But there will be special things where we bring up the legacies and ideas of the Aki shows, the Aki promotions that inspired the World Wide Wrestling Network, going back to those four pillars. And so we have our Young Lions Carnival. That's that was the name that I was looking for earlier off off recording. Yes, the Young Lions Carnival is basically meant to showcase our Young Lions division, and that is going to be held in the spirit of the Independent Union, with the major event basically being held under what we call Robinson's Rules. Robinson's Rules matches are two out of three fall with pin and submission. And what we do differently in the game settings is we go ahead and let uh, characters start off with low inner, low health and they have two finishers. Okay. That's just the game setup. What yes. this is meant to evoke is almost like a round system in wrestling, like world of sport rounds. And so 
the goal of this is it's a very unique situation where we are showing off what the young lions can do within this rule base. Capable of with certain settings. Yes. And we have had some of our best matches were our Young Lions Robinson Rules matches that we had previously. And we yes. are hoping that we'll be able to have that success later on. Now, then we mentioned that with Dead or Alive Wrestling, we would probably go to other games. We'll be looking at the Ultraviolence game, and that would be one of our Worldwide Wrestling Network Presents Dead or Alive, bringing back the spirit of that hardcore show. So that would be our big hardcore show that would also, and it might be a separate show, but it would be a showcase for the Brass Knuckles division, which is essentially our hardcore division. Our hardcore division is called the Brass Knuckles, is the Brass Knuckles divisions with the Brass Knuckles title being our hardcore belt. And so the idea is that that is going to be our ultraviolet deathmatch show that may or may not showcase the Brass Knuckles tournament to determine a Brass Knuckles champion each year. Right. Or the winner of the Brass Knuckles tournament would become the number one contender for the Brass Knuckles championship. And then, another, another, there's also some other things that we would like to do. And and this is going to be another reason we want to take it into potentially other games like Ultraviolet Wrestling. We're going to see what they're going to do with the AEW game and with, well, that too. But I mean, that that is something that, but we we want to see what these other games offer in terms of those settings that the two can, not just for intergender, but in the, the hardcore match settings. Yes. And across yes. the board that... The 2K games don't currently offer. Right. And it that's nothing against the 2K games. It's just, you know, that's not what they currently offer. AEW had a death match. Yes. Or, and and they we, have and, and they you know, they and, have regularly as blow-off matches, right. which essentially our brass knuckles division is a legitimized lights out division. Right. It's basically and, where every yeah. match is technically unsanctioned, like like it it, it it's like Tommy Lee Tommy Lee Jones said to Jim Carrey, "We cannot sanction your buffoonery." Yeah. Um, that's no. how Bruiser Barco handles the Brass Knuckles division. Well, and and one <laughs> other thing on that, and and this is aside from that. I mean, I I bring up the AEW game not simply because of the intergender matches we saw in that trailer. But also for another reason. Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. Oh, yes. If, I mean, th that type of match between those two women, that that's not going to happen in a 2K game. No, no, um, it's not. You know, and so therefore, we have to go to a match. We have to go to a, you know, high hopes for the AEW game. High hope wrestling code. High hopes for ultraviolence. Yeah, and, and that may be too high from the ultraviolence games. Right. 
I mean, but, we don't know if we're going to have female characters in that game. Right. And 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 as Jackdaw does more work, because that, guys, that is a independent guy. He is doing a lot of that code on his own. And right. everything that he has done is just, looks really good as he's been testing stuff out. But, so... There, there's there, the are, spirit, there are matches we would like to create there that you know recreate there that have been, that have happened in the past couple of years and we're just waiting to see what game allows us right and so that's why when we talk about what we want to do with worldwide wrestling network is we're not really attributing it to one game we're saying that we want to do this multi media multi-game we want to be able to branch out across stuff so that we can really do cool things and let people see that we're trying to do this as a digital wrestling show it's not your typical e-fed we are going to be utilizing our original characters to be able to tell stories with guest characters, with the goal of really putting a spotlight on those guest characters and just using our original characters as the method to help tell the story. That way, and then as we grow, as we get more people in, we will add a few more guest characters, but the real idea is to have this rotating cast from big event to big event with a lot of those people coming back to be involved in the Lethal Lottery at Battle Bowl. So you'll never know who's going to show back up at the Lethal Lottery because it could be somebody who started out in the beginning of the year and we haven't seen for months and then they're announced as a lethal lottery combatant, and like, oh wait, this is their chance to get back at the big, get the big title. And so and that is a, what. A side note to that: that immediately reflects a, a tenant that was what was there during the territory days. Yes, where you had stars going from, you know, the the Pacific Northwest territory into. You know, I'm gonna say IWA Mid South. I don't know what the actual territory name was there. Back right, right, right. But you know, going from Oregon to Missouri and then dropping down to Texas, and then all of a sudden they're popping up back in Oregon for a show, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Right, and and that that is kind of the spirit that we're trying to evoke. That we have, we want to showcase our original characters, and we want to showcase our build style. That that because we put a lot of time and thought and prep into these characters, but those characters don't mean anything if we don't challenge them against guest characters. Right. And we want those guest characters, which they will be billed as top stars. Yes. Like that they will be billed well, as I, as I, as big things in the promotion. And if the the asterisk there, there there's an asterisk there. The only way they won't be billed as top stars, you know, major deals, major players, you know, 
what, you know, litany of promotions they've worked in the past and all of that mess is if the call creator specifically requests it. Right. Or if yeah. they specifically say, hey, this is a brand new call or a brand new build and I'm trying to kind of rebranch and relaunch, I want to be in the Young Lions division. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that is something that we want to have on the table for car creators. Right. It, go, it goes back to something I said in an earlier podcast. You know, we, we were seeing the hashtag on Twitter, you know, hashtag give car creators a chance. Well, damn it, we're giving them a chance. And and yeah, we're, we're talking a big game. And we're that's because we are trying to make an earnest effort. Are we going to be successful all the time? No. no. Yeah, but I'm, we yeah. are we are trying to make an earnest effort to really, especially with original call creators and in the call community, we want to really go in and work with people. And if, uh, there, we've made a lot of connections in the call community. Gary is starting to branch out and actually put his characters into other feds. And so if you're, uh, and basically right now you can see him, uh, Gaz Corvin and Chloe Corvin. Gaz uh, they Corvin just, and his cousin, Chloe Corvin, made yes. a rather impromptu, auspicious debut to get the ring rust off. Right. WWE recently. Yes. Um, and so just like you can see Michael Maverick and Encantadora in GWW, and you can see Michael Maverick in TCW. I've, so, heard, I've heard a nasty little rumor that Chloe might be showing up in another promotion and might not be the only Corvin showing up in that promotion as well. Oh, very interesting. And so, guys, we, we are trying to get our calls out there, but also you got to remember that I have a career, and Gary also has other things that he's trying to do on his plate. And so we're trying to do this balancing act of the podcast, also getting our cows out there to build relationships with other feds, and also to rebrand and relaunch what we're trying to do with our digital wrestling show. We're trying to do something really, really unique. Now, the last thing that I want to bring up is what after we've talked about the championship committee, after we've talked about the pillars that built the Worldwide Wrestling Network, what is the vibe that we are really trying to go for with our shows? So because we're pulling from such desperate material, we're pulling from Japanese Peruso, we're pulling from Shakara. I, I wouldn't call it desperate material. Dis different. Oh. Dif yeah, different, different. material. Desperate, Sorry. desperate. And so, uh, desperate, and, okay. Yeah, desperate. Well, now, you need to enunciate better. Uh, I'm yeah, I, I, yeah I, okay, I'm from Eastern North Carolina, okay? Now, so the thing of it is, is because we're pulling from such different, different influences, what it comes down to brass tacks of how we are trying to present our show from a style perspective is Lucha Underground meets the modern NWA. We are trying to get this aesthetic that this is a little bit bigger than studio wrestling, but as far as with our weekly shows, with our big events being in arenas. The idea is that we're using the TV time quote 
okay, quote unquote kayfabe, as ways to get people to these bigger events where there's more going on. Just like it used to be in the old days before TV took over. And so the that is kind of our build philosophy and our vibe that we're trying to go for. This Lucha Underground, as far as approach to storytelling, with the look and feel of modern NWA, as far as taking a lot of cues and things from a studio wrestling look, on a big, a little bit bigger scale. All right. Now, so with that being said, guys, I want to thank you for listening to Gary and I kind of drone on for several hours about this concept <laughs> and idea. We did go a little longer than we, we went longer than we intended, but honestly, I think that for I people we- who have an interest In this type of thing, they will find the world that we are trying to build as layered and different than what a lot of people are trying to do. Now, we are not knocking anybody's approach to anything. This is just our myth and our lore and what we are trying to build. And we hope that this helps people who are potentially interested for becoming a part of our rebrand to kind of see, hey, this is what they're doing. I can get on board with that. That seems like something different and interesting that I'd like to be a part of. And so if you would like to be a part of that, it would help if we knew a little bit about your character. So why don't you go to our Willow that we have that's in our show notes and drop by for a Building legend segment, okay? Talk to us about your character. Talk to us about how you build them, their influences, their look, their gimmick. And that people who have done the pod podcast uh, and are interested in being a part of the show, they'll get shortlisted, okay? To be a part of the first part of season of the first part of the season when we start in March. And so that is, uh, that's just going out there and put it out about how we do business, okay? So if you guys are interested and have an interest in wanting to be a part of our digital wrestling show, being a part of the podcast and helping us understand your character a little bit more in front of God and everybody in the podcasting world is a great step in the way for us to, A, understand your character, and B, Figure out how we might be able to utilize them in the storylines that we are planning to start off our new endeavor with a bang. And it will also help, you know, it might help you with with getting your character out there for other promotions. Because we we will be having other Fed owners on to discuss their Fed after the holidays. Yes, um, be on the lookout for an addition to the Willow, which is going to be a call Fed owner. It's going to be a basically kind of like our template that we have for our Building Legend segment. We are putting feelers out there to kind of see what kind of questions 
Fed owners might want to answer or have asked because a lot of what we want to talk about with Fed owners is essentially what makes your Fed unique, what's your community like, what is your booking philosophy, stuff like that to kind of really get into and talk about. And if you are not even the Fed owners, if you've got some bookers out there who book for a show and the Fed owner is like, well, I really don't want to be on the podcast, but could you do it and talk to these guys about what we're doing? We would be happy to have you guys as well, as long as we we go through the proper channel with that event. We are... And, and the, other thing on, the other thing on bookers, there are some Fed owners who, you know, they're bookers may have a completely, you know, different perspective on booking than the Fed owner. Yeah, and so we encourage to bring you both on yeah, because exactly. that leads to a deeper conversation. Now, we don't want to cause any problems, but oh, no, no. It, it, it will add you know, to what we're trying to do. You know, and so how, now, how they, find a, how they find, you know, a happy medium between their two philosophies, for example. Right. So, kind of like what Gary and I have to talk about and hash out on different occasions. Now, with that being said, oh, this yeah. is going to be our last podcast for the 2001. 2021. And so, yeah. two, 2001, Jesus. 2021. I was trying to say 2021 over here. Yeah, that's it, 2001. That's how, that's how out of it I am. But yeah, essentially... Well, you know. Essentially, guys, we will be back with a Building Legends segment, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and name drop who we are bringing in for our first Building Legends segment in January. We will be having Bebe Cash, also known as Santos Prime, on Twitch. We are going to be having them to talk about Bebe, the character development of that character, where we can see her, the philosophy of the build, just like with our Building Legends segment. And guys, while you're at it, while we're on break, first of all, happy holidays. Enjoy the time with family. Enjoy that time with friends. Celebrate any holiday that you have the way that you want it and just have an enjoyable time of year. This is a time of year where we should be reflecting and thinking about wrapping up uh, the events that have gone out throughout the year. And we just want you to have uh, a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all of those, uh, everything happy, included. Yeah. Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, yeah, uh, and ev everything, because uh, we are an inclusive organization and we want everybody to feel welcome and have a pleasant holiday season. Now, we will be back with Bebe Cash with, I think we're going to schedule that for our second week in January. We also have uh, on deck, James Omega uh, is going to be coming have, with us. And we and, have a couple of other people on deck. And we have other, other folks and, who are on deck to be a part of our Building Legends segment. And yes. guys, we're encouraging it. Now's the time. Let's get folks who are interested in being on Building Legends to fill out that form, go to the Willow, and we will be in touch with you about interviews because it's an opportunity for you guys to really go into your character and talk about it without having to be in character and really think about the influences of how you build that character. And sometimes, like what would happen with Anthony Ragoni, there were things that he hadn't thought about. And 
he has a really fun time kind of putting that into words as we were going through the interview. And, and so it's another thing I want to touch on real quick. Something you just said. When we are doing these Building a Legend segments, it is out of character. Yes. Okay. You know, we're we're not asking we we I'm I'm gonna say we're not asking. We don't want you to show up as your call. Right. We want you to show up as you to talk about your creative process for that call for that character. Yes. And that that is the, the thought process because we want the whole premise of this show is about the build, the influence, and the art of call. Because there there's a lot of things that go into this whole thing of this community and creation and just it, it I, I anytime that somebody asks, well, what is call? I say that it is it's digital Dungeons and Dragons with wrestling. And it, it really is because of all the moving parts that go into the and the role play aspect and the building of the character and the designing of the character and the thought process that goes as shallow or as deep as the creator wants it to be. And so it really that's how I describe it to people who don't understand the hobby. And when they make that connection, it really helps them realize, oh, well, this is something that is pretty interesting. And they will sometimes check out shows. I've got people listening to the podcast now who are nowhere near involved in call. And we've been getting a lot of good I, feedback. I've got, people, I've got some people who are not involved in call or even wrestling fans. Right. And but they have the been podcast out of curiosity. And they have we've gotten a lot of good feedback, personal feedback from people who have been really enjoying the conversations and the interviews and the format. And as we wrap up, I just want to thank everybody for listening to our first five episodes and encourage others to take a listen and join us on Building Legends and follow us on Twitter and all the other social medias that we have linked on to Willow. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And forgetting something. What are we forgetting? Stay safe. The what? The, you know, the words of Lord Cyrus of Moldovia. Oh, well, I, we've got that in the, we have that in the new openings uh, and closings. Yeah, that's already pre-recorded. Well, yeah, but we can still say it. I mean, Okay, 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 okay. Hey, Stay hey, safe. It's, hey, it's Christmas. Stay over. <laughs> this has been Project WWWN. Thank you for listening. We hope that this episode has been informative and entertaining. Get in contact with us, please go to willow.link slash at Project WWWN. That is W-L-O dot link forward slash at project WWWN. If you are interested in being a guest on a Building Legends episode, click that Building Legends guest form. 
answer the questions and submit and we will be in contact with you to set up an interview if you like what we are doing please follow us on spotify and twitter and most importantly tell your friends in the community and let them know that project wwwn is worth a listen as we end our show let us remind everyone of the wisest words in the world given to us by don callis also known as lord cyrus of moldova stay safe and stay over.